Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Galatians chapter 4 as we continue our series in the book of Galatians and uh, looking at this idea of how the gospel plus nothing equals everything. And we're just having a a good time just kind of seeing uh, Paul's heart uh, in this book and what's going on. And this is a little bit of a difficult passage, and so let me take a little bit of time to introduce it. But uh, before we jump into that, let me ask those of you who are parents, don't say this out loud, but just think. Have your kids ever driven you to a point where things come out of you that you don't know where it came from or why or you kind of lost it a little bit? Well, confession's good for the soul. This is going to be a struggle for some of you to know that this is your pastor. But one day, this is a long time ago when I wasn't as sanctified. And uh, the girls were still in high school, and for whatever reason, Jam was just really pushing my buttons that day. I can't even remember what she was doing, but she was driving me crazy. And the girls were in Jackie's room, and Jam had just done something and ran off to there, and I stormed in, and I said, Jam, I am tired of your, and I, I don't know why I decided to spell here, C-A-R-P, which is not what I was trying to spell. (laughs) To which Jackie quickly responded, carp, dad? (laughs) And now they're both giggling, so the whole thing has lost its emphasis, and I had to storm back out. There's this sometimes the point where our kids can really push our buttons. And for me and, and our family just knows, the, the reality is JM and I are, are way too much alike. And so her flaws are just magnified to me. They're just so in my face. And the reason why I say that is this passage is somewhat difficult. Chapter four, we're gonna be in verses eight through 20. And, and the reason why it's difficult is because you could approach this from two different angles. And what I mean by that is Paul is writing, we just need to keep this in mind, Paul is writing a letter to a group of people who he knows, who he led to Christ, and now they they have adopted another aspect. They've added something to the gospel, and Paul is writing to correct them. And so we could dig deeper into the Galatian problem, what they've done. But what comes out so much in these verses is Paul's heart for the church. And I I say that as I was reading this um, and going back to Bible study methods, which I teach at Corbin, I teach my kids, you know, my students that you need to look, listen for the tone of a book. And they say tone and look at verse 20. We're going to read the whole thing in a second, but he says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. Right, you can hear a parent right there. It's like, I wish I could, wish I wasn't talking to you like this. And you change my tone. And so I want students to recognize the tone. And then I, I also tell them we need to, to consider the structure. And in here, we have an argument that Paul is making. And in verse 8, what bubbles out of the argument to me is his tone and his concern for the Galatian church. And so just 
Listen to these verses, and then we'll dig into our text for this morning. Chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. Now, just let me stop there for a second. Remember, these were Gentile Christians, and so they used to worship idols, and you can hear that language, right? The, 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 the gods and the idols. But then Paul changes his analogy here a little bit in verse 10 to address what they're doing now, which is going into uh, the traditions of the Jewish culture, adopting that. He says, verse 10, you observe days and months, and seasons and years, I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You knew it was because of a body, bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Messiah Jesus. What then has become your blessedness? What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is, it is always good to be made much of for good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, um, my little children, for whom I again, in the anguish of childbirth until Messiah is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So as we, we look at this passage, we, we see Paul's shepherd's heart, or even a parent's heart. And we're going to look at Paul's heart for the truth, Paul's heart for discipleship, and then Paul's heart, of course, for the people. The reason that Paul is being so firm with them is because of his heart for the truth. Look at verse 16 again. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I have, to, I have to set the truth before you. And so Paul is reminding them what it is to be a child of God. What it means to be truly converted. And he says, first of all, a child of God, A child of God is someone who has experienced a change in relationship. Verse 8, formerly when you did not know God. This is, this is who you were formerly. They were somebody who does not know God. They were slaves to idols. And he says it another way. He says, to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, you were a slave to this world's way of thinking. Now, for us, we look at that and we go, oh, well, we don't worship idols. But that's not what all Paul says. Not just the idols, 
but the thinking and way the world does things apart from God. And Paul says, you used to think that. That was your former way of thinking. But now you know God. There's been a change. You, you know the truth. And I, I love Paul's words here. They, they really should stand out to you. Verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God. Do you hear the relational language there? It's not that you just came to a point in your life where you go, well, I found God. I know him now. Somebody shared it with me, and now I know that. No, Paul says that's not exactly what happened. What happened is you are now known intimately by God. It's a relational thing. And and here's the, the joy in that. That God knows you intimately. That God knows your faults, your sins, your your, your ugliness, I'm sorry, and loves you anyway. You are known by God. That's the relational peace in this. And then he says, a child of God is someone who knows the freedom of God's grace. It, it's somebody who's experienced this freedom. It's formerly, you were enslaved. You were slave to idols or the way of thinking this. And then they experience freedom. And now he says, now you're choosing a different type of slavery. It's biblical legalism. You're going back to observing seasons and rules and circumcisions and laws. And the contrast that Paul makes is this. Gospel faith versus worldly religion but then he changes it to gospel faith, faith versus kind of a biblical morality. Just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard to be good enough. Timothy Keller uh, said this, if, if anything, the idolatry and slavery of religion, now listen to this, because this is more our temptation. The idolatry and slavery of religion is more dangerous than the idolatry and slavery of irreligion because it's less obvious. The irreligious person knows he's far away from God, but the religious person does not. And so they experience freedom, and now somebody's saying, well, that's good. I'm glad that you found Jesus. But what you really have to do is this, 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 and this. If you're going to be a real Christian... I I heard a speaker, and I'm sorry this is going to push some of you the wrong way, but I heard a speaker and pastor that I have loved and respected most of my life say, if you're a real Christian, then you will vote for fill in the blank. Now, what is is he saying? There's, There's rules. There's certain things you have to do. And I, I want to say, whoa, time out. We're not going to live back under these heavy rules. Number three, a child of God is someone who loves the blessing that comes from God's word. It's interesting, down and look at verse um, 
15, he is, he's talking about this, this period in, in Paul's life where he came to the region of Galatia. He had a physical ailment. We don't know exactly what it is. Um, people have argued from this passage that Paul had some sort of eye disease because he says would gouge out their eyes. So it seems like it was an eye condition. Some commentators would say that this was a Greek way of speaking of the soul, you know, just the eye is the, it, so it didn't have to necessarily be literally an eye condition. I, I think it probably was, but he was there. He, was, he, was, he wasn't doing well physically. And the Galatians, even before they came to Christ, were caring for him. This church began to care for him and he is preaching the gospel to them. And, and they're responding to the gospel. They're responding to God's word. And then he says, what then has become of your blessedness? What, what has become of this, this way that you used to receive God's word and just live in it? And when someone loves the blessings that come from God's word, when they love digging in and hearing things and seeing things, they just, they're being awakened by God's word. You, you can see Christ in them. What amazes to me is how many people will tell me a rule. And, and I love doing this to people. In fact, people stop giving me the rules. They stop coming to my office because of this. They'll say, well, you know we have to do such and such. And I say, okay, can you show me that? Well, it's in the Bible. I said, I understand, but can you show it to me? And I, it's amazing how many people are frustrated with me and say, well, don't you know where it is? You're the one that's quoting it to me. We, we have a bunch of rules that we've made up that we heard from preachers, but we don't know where they are. And so I, we're, we're kind of, you know, repeating the things over and over again. Where, where is it where we come back and see this grace and this peace? A child of God is someone who's being transformed into the image of his son. He says in verse 19, my little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until the Messiah is formed in you. I want to see you completely transformed into the image of Jesus. That's what a child of God is doing. And it's also someone who stays the course. It's someone who keeps going. And that's really what Paul is saying here in verses 19 and 20. And really, in Galatians, you've gotten off track. And we need to get you back into a gospel way of thinking. Paul has a great heart for the truth. And I think that we go, yeah, we, we get that. The, the truth of the Bible. Um, but here's, let me just put it into parent relationship. I had a former... Um, congregant, another church, and Janine was keeping in touch with them, and their kids were rebelling. They were adult children now. Um, they had all, there was more than one, walked away from the Lord. And as Janine was talking with this family, one of the things that they said was, well, I just want my kids to be happy. And Janine and I just really wrestled with that later on. We, we, were just, we really talked about it. Um, I don't remember if they said it to Janine directly or it was something that she had heard or what, but we were, you know, when your kids rebel, what do you do? They're adult children now. They're making their own decisions. 
And so how they've come to peace with it is I just want my kids to be happy. What's wrong with that? They can have all the happiness of the world. But if they're apart from Christ, they're in trouble for eternity. Paul could have said to the church, you know what? You know what? I've tried that whole Old Testament rules things. I've done that. If you want to do it, if you want to mess with that, just try to remember Jesus. Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. You know, you do you. But Paul loves the truth too much. Paul knows what road they're headed down. So what does he do? He tries to shake them up and get them back on the right track. And, you know, we as parents, when our kids are about, we do all sorts of things. We enable them. We, we just want them to be happy. We just, we, we, you know, maybe we pray for them. But what Paul is doing is pleading with them. He's pleading with them. So the, Paul's heart for discipleship. Gospel ministry seeks conversion. Formerly you were. It's a great little book. It's, it's, it's a pretty quick read. It's a nine marks book called Conversion by Michael Lawrence over down in Portland. And uh, one of the things, he just, it's about conversion. And uh, he mentions in there this theology of being nice. And he says, you know what? The gospel is more about, is more than just a theology of being nice. It's not that we just want people to be nice. They actually need to be converted. And he says the theology of nice has an optimistic view of humanity. That we kind of think, you know what? People are basically good. And we watch the news, especially recently, and we go, wow, that's shocking to me. How do people get that far off track? Um, people are basically good. And I just want to say to you, no, they're not. People are not basically good. That's not the story of the Bible. Humanity rebels against God. And without TV, without internet, without video games, without magazines, without news channels, without even any bad influences in their life, Cain killed Abel out of jealousy. We got from chapter 3 to chapter 4, killing our brother because we rebelled against God. We are basically evil. And sometimes society makes us act nice. But don't have an overly optimistic view about humanity. And because we have this theology of being nice, we have domesticated view of God. In other words, God just loves everybody and he just wants everybody to be nice and get along. And the God of the Old Testament that rains down fire is the same God of the New Testament who is going to return carrying a sword. And we just have more of a religion of moral reform. Let's just all try to be a little bit nicer. And what we find out is that we have a greater need. And so when Jesus is asked, what is it I need? He answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What needs to happen is conversion. We need to actually have a change where we repent 
of our old ways and receive the grace and mercy that comes from Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you, when we go back to the gospel, we cannot save ourselves. We have rebelled against God. We are dead in our sins. We cannot save ourselves. And we are face to face with a holy God who cannot tolerate and put up with our sinfulness. But because of his love for us, he sent his son who took on our sin, paid our penalty, and rose again. And not only that, but he gives us his spirit and his righteousness. And so we are saved by grace, not by our own works, not by moral goodness. God gives us his spirit that we might learn to obey and have a new heart. This is the gospel of being changed formally and new. It's not just that we're trying to become nicer people. We need to actually change. Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those nature, those, those things that are by nature not God's, these elementary principles, but now you know God, or rather, you are known by God. And so, a gospel ministry, Paul's discipleship is not just that they do better, but that they be converted in, in Jesus Christ and changed through God's Spirit. Second, gospel ministry is culturally flexible. Um, Paul says in verse 8, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who are by nature not gods. But now that you've come to know God, okay, there's this change. Where did all this change come from? Verse 12, brothers and sisters, I entreat you, because become as I am, for I also became as you are. Paul showed some cultural flexibility when, when he came to Galatia. I mean, if anybody knows the Jewish laws, if anybody knows all the rules, it was Paul. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. But he... It's not that he sinned or became morally different, but he was willing to be culturally flexible to win people to Jesus Christ. And as the church grows and changes and becomes an institution in and of itself, we become less and less culturally flexible. And what we want is people to come into the church and to dress like us and eat like us and go the places we go and do the things we do. Instead of going into the culture and learning about them and becoming in some ways like them, that we might enjoy life with them and share Christ with them. But gospel ministry isn't just culturally flexible. Gospel ministry is transparent. He says, I became like, you become like me because I became like you. What he, he was calling them to follow him. And we've made a distinction here through the relational elder training that we've gone through, the difference between transparency and vulnerability. And I, I'm using the word transparency here, but 
Sometimes we can be transparent in a small group and we can say, oh man, I had a terrible week this week and I did this, 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 and this. And pray for me. But vulnerability is when you allow other people to come in and speak into that. Not just pray for you, but hey, let's, let's set up some accountability for this week so that we do better. And so Paul lived in such a way, it's like where my life, his life was open to them. Let's share this together. Let's, you follow me, I'll get to know you. There was relationship in there. And somehow we want just the gospel to be preached and people to be changed. And then someone go meet with them and get them to dress correctly and talk correctly and, and all these different things. And then, then they can come into the church and be a part of the church. It just doesn't work that way. I had a friend, mentor of mine, many, many years ago, my high school youth pastor. When uh, he came to Christ, uh, it was in Long Beach area, Southern California, and he got saved in um, David Hawking's church. Some of you might remember the name. And one of his first ministries in the church, this was the first thing he did. It was a college group that David Hawking taught, and he was in this college group. And his job was to take the podium and set it up for David Hawking. And then David Hawking would come and set his notes down and teach. That was his first job at the church. And a brand new Christian, okay, got saved out of a totally pagan background, no family that went to church. And one day when he was setting up the podium, I don't even remember what went wrong. I don't remember if he tripped or if something happened or somebody else grabbed the podium from him. I don't remember what happened, but something happened in this process and he let out a word from Canaan, okay? Uh, um, not a church word at all. And he quickly learned that that wasn't a word you were supposed to say in church, right? Let alone at, during church. But you know what? He was in a place where, not that it was okay, but it was a place where people were okay to make mistakes and be trained in the gospel. And he always remembers that mistake as a learning opportunity, not a shame situation. And so there's this transparency, this relationship that happens when the gospel is working correctly. Um, here's something else that just came out of this. And I, man, I don't want to overly apply this. Let's just think about this for a second. Gospel ministry looks for opportunities and hardship. I mean, Paul is on a missions trip. And if we take this literally, he's getting to a point where he is being blinded by some sort of ailment. He is physically struggling to see. And uh, it is, uh, if the same ailment that he's talking to in other passages is painful, um, Paul has prayed that God would heal him from it, and God's answer was, Your, my grace is sufficient for you. So the Paul, who's seen healing in other people, is not seeing healing in this. And he's probably frustrated. Um, it's certainly not ideal. And yet, what does it turn into? A church plant. Isn't that amazing? What happened from it is a church plant. He gave birth. That's the terms he's using here. A church came out of this. And I, we've all talked about the struggles, whether it's COVID, whether it's financial, uh, whether it's the restrictions that we have that seem to always be changing. 
you know, I mean, we can be thankful we're not in California, right? Their rules seem even worse. But we've got all these things going on, and, and perhaps what we need to be thinking of is what's the opportunity? Where, where is God opening up opportunity for the gospel to grow? Not just survive. I, I don't know what the answer is to that. I've been praying about it. And then gospel ministry seeks the best for others. It's kind of this odd uh, going back and forth in verses 17 and 18. And I believe what Paul is saying is these Judaizers, these group of people that want you to obey all these different laws, they, may, they make much about you. They're making you feel really good. But they're only doing it so that you'll make much about them. He's saying that's not really what's happening here. It's good when people make much about you for the right reasons. And the right reasons is when people see gospel conversion in us, change. And so we end kind of with what's the overarching in here is just Paul's heart for the people. And it came out in three specific ways in these last few verses. Paul says, I wish I could be present with you. It says, it's always good to be made much of for good purpose, not only when, not only when I am present with you. And then he goes back and he says, I wish I could be present with you, verse 20. I wish I could be there. And then I, I, this, uh, he says in here, I, I'm just perplexed. You know, I don't get it. I don't understand why you're making these choices. What, what is it that's so appealing to this? I, I really, I don't understand. Come on, most of us have gotten to that point at least once in our parenting. I do not understand what you're thinking. Your decisions make no sense to me. That is not the way I raised you. Okay, I mean, I could come up with a hundred more cliches. We've all said them. I, but Paul's is, Paul's is probably the, I'm just perplexed. I, I don't understand. And then it took me a while in, in the interpretation here, the process for me to really get verse 20. I wish I could be present with you, okay? The end, he says, I'm perplexed. This middle, he says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. Now, what, what does that mean? But when I started thinking it in lines of parents, right? I got it. I don't want to be frustrated with you. I don't want to be perplexed. I don't want to be angry with you. I wish I could change my tone. So change your tone, Paul. Just change your... No, he can't. Why? Because he loves truth and he loves discipleship and he loves them way too much to ignore what's going on. I wish I could change my tone. What needs to happen for Paul to change his tone? They need to repent. And I just wonder if there's times when we need to repent of our religious way of thinking. And so I just want to stop by, by asking you three questions. And I'm looking at my notes here. And just so you know, I have follow-up questions for each of the three questions. So it's more than three. I didn't want Rich to point that out later. So where is your faith? And, and what I mean that is, what are you placing your hope, your, your faith in? Is your faith in Christ and his righteousness? Or is your faith in your own moral goodness? 
do you really think that you're going to stand before God and he's going to say, well, you cleaned up pretty nice. Good job. You worked real hard. Because the Old Testament says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And so our only hope is that when we stand before God, he sees Christ in us. That he sees Christ's righteousness. So how does your faith, if it is truly in Christ and his righteousness, how does that faith in Christ impact how you view other people? In other words, if you can't save yourself and you can't stand before God in your own moral goodness, but only in Christ's righteousness, then what is it you expect of other people? And sometimes what we like to do is we like to be saved by grace and we like to put on a religious mask and then have everybody say, oh, wow, you look really religious. But you know what? These masks, they're not great, right? They cover a reality. They're uncomfortable. And we're all just waiting for somebody to say, it's okay for us to take it off. And I want you, I want you to understand, church, that you have a religious mask that you've put on over the years that you want people to say. And I think deep down in your heart, you're wishing that somebody would tell you to take it off, that you could be real, but you're afraid that if you take it off and people really see your sinfulness and your ugliness, that they won't like you. And what I am saying is we all need to take it off and just say, I'm ugly. But I love Jesus and I'm thankful for his righteousness. How flexible and transparent is your gospel ministry? Where can you see yourself investing in people and places that are different from you? Do you open your life up to others or do you put on that religious mask and hope nobody gets too close? And I wonder where our heart is, especially as it is related to our church. Do we desire to see gospel change or do we just want things to go back the way they were? And I think the, the parent's heart, Paul is saying, don't go back the way things were. Not in my life and not in your life. The only thing that is of any value is gospel change. And it's hard. And it's raw. But it's the only thing that brings life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this difficult book. We thank you for the things that we are learning as we go through. And sometimes it just jumps right into our face. It's difficult. It's hard. But we thank you for that. We pray that you would change us, shape us, mold us into your image. And God, I just want to say thank you this morning for your grace. Thank you for saving us when really we were just shaking our fists at you. Whether it was a religious shaking of the fist or chasing after things in this world, God, there was a period in time where we were going the wrong direction. And maybe for some, they grew up in the church and it feels like, I don't know, I can't put a place in that, but God, there was... There was a road that each of us could have been on. 
that was contrary to life. But by your grace, you came to know us and love us and pour into us. So God, we thank you for what you've done in our life individually. And we pray that you would help us to be effective in doing it corporately. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.